will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the podcast where we will finally answer the burning question, how many pods would a podcast cast if a podcast could cast pods? We think it's about four. And if you would like to settle such questions, why not write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or visit us at hauntedphonograph.com ask with anonymity. Yeah. Joining me tonight, and not quite anonymous, is Clary Maguire, who is currently throwing compiler errors. Mr. Jaundice Wobegon Smythe, who is animated by the spirits of a thousand screaming meerkats. They're very noisy. Very. And I, of course, am Roger Hart. Ill-fated pioneer of cellophane lavatory paper. Now, this week's question pertains to chocolate. I love, our questioner asks, milk chocolate. Cadbury Galaxy Lint, if I'm being posh. Recently, my parents have started buying me higher quality chocolate as gifts. Hotel chocolate, green and blacks. They even brought some from... Switzerland. Very lovely thoughts, but revoltingly bitter to my milk and sugar obsessed taste buds. How do I guide them back and stop them wasting these unwanted gifts on me without causing offence? Yeah. I, um, I think it's difficult when someone's definition of doing something nice uh, of doing the right thing doesn't map to yours necessarily. Um, and it, it, it's super galling when that gap is kind of narrow. Like in this case, it looks like your parents have a mental model of chocolate that sits on a spectrum of niceness that kind of broadly correlates with fanciness or price or something. Darker and more full-bodied is better and is therefore presumably a better gift. That's sort of the typology I imagine they're working on. Whereas for you, that's not the spectrum, or at least it doesn't extend that far. Milky and sugary does the job of chocolate. Dark and bitter does something else that you're not interested in. It's just a totally different category. I, I help run a beer festival, and we, we kind of have the issue with recommending things to people. People who know beer in a sort of cardigan and beard way come in with one set of opinions, and then people come in on the, the Friday night, and they're like, oh, I want to try a lot of beers. And often ask us, what have you got that's a bit like lager? And the super beardy volunteers will be like, here, yeah, haha, fuck off, drink this 10,000% stout. But the, the, the right answer really is, well, what do you value in a lager? Is it, do you want something a bit less bitter? Do you want something lighter? You know, it, different people value different things in different ways, and you can kind of do stuff to sort of sketch around and find things. And in, in my sort of business life, in, in product management life, we sort of, Think of this as kind of use cases, or there's a framework called jobs to be done, which is this idea that you, to, 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 to meet a market need, a, a customer has a, a thing they want to get done, they sort of hire a product to do a job, and it can be quite specific, it can be kind of deceptive, sometimes it's non-obvious. So why might you buy a takeout breakfast, for a particular thing for a takeout breakfast, for example, you, you might buy a fruit smoothie, you might buy a protein bar, you might buy all sorts of things that are not immediately obviously comparable because they're doing, doing a particular job for you. Which is why this makes me think of Star Wars, 
um, actually, because, and, and I think this maps quite well to, well, it doesn't, but I'm going to have a go, to the chocolate analogy. So in the original Star Wars trilogy, the very first Star Wars trilogy, George Lucas brought a big-ass bar of dairy milk to the party. It was milky and sweet, but it had just enough cocoa depth and texture to get to the harsher palates, even if they, they didn't, like, totally go for it. All right. It pleased near enough anyone, and the kids came away with it with, like, chocolate smeared around their big toothy grins. It was, it was a win. In the 90s and noughties, George, George came back with this trilogy of sort of sub-Hershey pure sugar disasters, one of the greatest misunderstandings of why someone likes your product in recent history. All sugar, just the silhouette of substance, and only that kind of oily aftertaste of American chocolate. It just wasn't right. Like it was a, a this, this sort of gross misunderstanding of the the value proposition of the original original product. All kind of cheap laughs and, and explosions for the kids, and then a massive overinvestment in the continuity for the fanboys that have grown up in the last twenty years. Just just no perception of what it was that made the thing good. And now that now the franchise is back, and what it's done is it's kind of brought a mid-range selection box. It's it's learned in the midtime that there are there are there are some folks who will not accept um, milk and sugar, and there are some who insist on it. And I, I've centered this analogy around my tastes, but you can kind of sort of use it. Some people value some things about a thing and don't always get what it is that other people love it for, which is kind of the situation you and your folks are in right now. And so. In order to communicate that to them, what you need is some kind of universal touchstone, which is where I'm going with the Star Wars analogy, which is to say that almost everyone has seen Star Wars, and even if they haven't, almost everyone will be able to process it and will be able to, in so doing, understand the difference between good Star Wars and bad Star Wars. In particular, they'll be able to understand the difference between the original trilogy and the fucking soul-rendingly miserable prequels. So, I've centered this around my tastes, but I think it's portable. What you need to do is run a Star Wars marathon coupled with appropriate chocolate pairings. This will give you a handy way to introduce the core concepts with talking points, but it will also let you feed your family huge volumes of chocolate at emotionally appropriate moments, such that it's basically Pavlovian conditioning and or aversion therapy. So under my best guess at your mental model, in this transaction the cocoa solid count is probably, I don't know, the cheapness of the franchise's grasp for emotional intensity, and the bitterness is sort of its attempt to take itself seriously, or maybe the cringing attempts to kind of mug for the fan base. Either way, you're going to push a whole kilo of some single-estate Peruvian farm bollocks right up them at the moment Jar Jar Binks walks on screen. And by the time Vader is howling, no, whatever, oh, we want them to be so full of lint dark noir that they are visibly sweating ganache. It, it, it's about using the ceaselessly ham-fisted way George Lucas understood the appeal of his franchise to create powerful taste memory associations. Taste and smell are really powerful in forming memories. So if you give them a sort of traumatic Star Wars marathon experience with excesses of appropriate chocolate at the right points, and then kind of vaguely explain a little bit like, oh, this scene didn't really land, eat your fucking cocoa. Like, I, I think you'll be able to, to kind of create the mental model associations that will, you know, bring them back to you and help them walk through the process of understanding that not everyone likes things in the same way. I, I don't know. Star Wars marathon, chocolate, funnel. Strong stuff. Okay. I'm going to come at this from what I think is maybe a slightly different 
perspective. And the first thing I've got to say is, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry the chocolate, dark chocolate gifting has already been going on for too long. You had one chance, one opportunity to tell your parents that you don't like dark chocolate and you actually prefer milk chocolate. You had that chance and you've already blown it. The rules of etiquette, like the rules of good sex, are cruel and unyielding. You are now stuck receiving dark chocolate from your loved ones until death kindly intervenes to end the whole grotesque charade. So I think I'm basically saying I can't help with the, the chocolate. But what I can do is try and find a way of increasing your happiness in the sphere of gifts to compensate for the low quality chocolate you're being forced to endure. Now, some very influential theories suggest that happiness is conditional on social equality or the lack thereof. Uh, this basically says that more equal societies, even those that are materially poor, tend to report higher levels of happiness uh, than those which are unequal. This is sort of illustrated by the UK and much of the rest of the developed world having a growing problem with inequality, which is actually making people within those societies less happy, even though they are materially incredibly well off in comparison to the wider world. Now, you can use this sad state of affairs to your advantage. There are two ways of attaining a greater degree of happiness. One is to boost your own relative station in life and surround yourself with sources of joy. This is hard, uh, not least because everything is irredeemably awful and will likely remain so for at least forever. So I'm going to suggest solution two, whereby you increase the ambient level of misery until your level of happiness improves in comparison. This strategy is known technically as the Brexit. I've done some research on your behalf into the kind of gifts that people most often resent. And I'm going to suggest that what you do is start gifting absolutely terrible gifts to other people in order to bolster your own sense of esteem by, by comparison with their um, abject misery. Now, with this, you're going to need a little bit of common sense. Uh, exercise gear is apparently the gift that most frequently goes unused, but we all know at least one or two absolute perverts that get off on that sort of thing. So, you know, have, have a little think. But anyway, here's, here's, here's a short list of the kind of things that you might want to be gifting to people to really just make them less happy. So romantic novels. Why not give someone you don't know all that well a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey? Don't forget to let them know that you've underlined all your favourite passages so that they can think of you when they read them. Uh, work clothes are a really great approach. Um, a boring tie is an amazing fuck you to someone you neither like nor respect. Um, a pair of braces that will only work if they then go out and buy a new pair of trousers that they can attach to. That's even better. Um, I gather, I'm no expert, uh, that it's even simpler when buying for ladies because uh, the size numbers, I understand, are less of a guide to fit than a sort of suggestion for a lottery number you might want to play. Um, so you can basically pick whatever you like and pretty much guarantee that it won't fit. Uh, don't forget to fail to include a receipt and carefully remove all of the manufacturer's labels so they can't even exchange it for store credit. Uh, anything with a hilarious slogan on, mum, mugs that say world's best mum, t-shirts describing the sexual potency conveyed by male pattern baldness, anything whatsoever that references the weight of the gifted party. These are all absolute gold. 
If you want to go a bit left field, I'm going to suggest that you start gifting people cleaning supplies. What the fuck message are you trying to send with a massive bottle of Dettol and a box of maximum strength washing machine tablets? Whatever message it is, I think we can agree that there's no chance that it's a compliment. Um, yeah, uh, even more left field, why not try some fertility treatments or anything designed to enhance sexual performance? Bonus points if it's a traditional folk remedy with absolutely no chance of working made out of endangered rhino bladders and weed killer. And finally, if all else fails, just do what Apple did. Give them a U2 album. This way, you won't end up with stuff that you want, but neither will anyone else. And isn't that what life in modern Britain is all about? All of us united in a soothing broth of bitterness and petty recrimination. That certainly sounds like a fix for our time. Clary. Now, I am going to suggest, I think, a more pragmatic, real politic approach than my colleagues this week. I think you should probably try out the old polite lie. Um, there are a lot of people nowadays reducing the range of foods they take in, uh, deciding that actually not feeling like they're going to explode or shit out of their eyes all the time is a valid lifestyle choice, and as a result, not eating bread or uh, fats or meat or whatever particular food makes them feel like they're going to explode or shit out of their eyes all the time. So I would suggest that you make a very specific point of saying to your family that while you still enjoy milk chocolate, the more watered down with delicious milk proper type of chocolate, you don't actually want to have dark chocolate anymore. It, it would be actively sabotaging your healthy lifestyle in a, a really unsupportive and unkind way rather than a cheeky way if you were given dark chocolate because you only eat milk chocolate now. Milk chocolate is, is uh the only real chocolatey choice you have, you're always going to, you, you know, you really, you still are well into chocolate. They should definitely get you all chocolate. But tragically, it has to be milk chocolate. And they should try and find all manner of innovative milk chocolates because it's the only type of uh, chocolate you can now have is milk chocolate. I'm, I'm not really sure what scientific thing we could give you to back that up i suppose what you could say is that you can't have dark chocolate anymore because you're trying to reduce your caffeine intake is that because the dark is stronger no not stronger easier quicker more seductive
that's why Jimmy Savile remained my godfather until his dying day. <laughs>